Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mining Now. I'm your host, Jared Downey. Uh, we've got two guests on the show today, so Gowdy will not be joining me to kick things off, but we are going to hand it over to her for sponsorship. Um, this is a special episode because uh, CIM has a town hall coming up, um, and, and the guests are going to talk about that. We're going to be featuring the co-chairs of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, DIAC, uh, the CIM's uh, diversity uh, arm of the organization. And we're going to be featuring Muhammad Ali and Teresa Nebezi. They are the co-chairs of the organization, and they're going to be walking through not just not things just like the town hall, but some of what mining is doing, what mine, mines need to do, and, and just, just sharing their point of view on, on how mining needs to move forward with diversity. So, um, but I will let them walk through it. And before we do that, I'm going to hand it over to Gowdy to give a shout out to our sponsors. Alrighty, so first up, we've got Fenner Dunlop. Monitoring the health of your steel cord conveyor belts has never been easier. Powered by Eagle Eye, Fenner Dunlop's Bird's Eye identifies potential belt issues before they have the opportunity to create the need for larger, more time-intensive, and expensive action. Log in from your smartphone, tablet, or computer to access all of your steel cord belts from one screen. Your Bird's Eye subscription also includes online remote service and call center support, on-demand web reports, and yearly review of your system performance. Visit FennerDunlopAmericas.com for more information. Next up, we also have NSS Canada. NSS Canada provides safe, accurate, and innovative survey equipment solutions. As a Leica Geosystems and Hexagon Mining authorized reseller, they specialize in engineering, construction, and mining solutions. You can learn more about their services at nsscanada.com, or you can call them at 705-744-3246. Next up, of course, we've also got Savanai Equipment. Savanai Equipment supplies new and used mining equipment around the world from placer to underground to ore processing plants. They have gold concentrating tables, trommels, and mineral jigs in stock now to take advantage of the high gold prices. You can visit them at SavanaiEquipment.com where you will find more equipment every day. And of course, we have CIM. The CIM 2022 Convention and Expo is coming back to Vancouver and in person. This is happening this May. You can show off your products and services in mining technology, digitalization, equipment, consulting, and engineering. There are a whole lot of perks waiting for exhibitors, and this expo will sell out fast. If you're a researcher thinking about what will mining look like for future generations, this convention is the perfect place to present your technical paper or lead a short course. Visit CIM.org for all the details. Book your exhibitor space and submit your abstracts today. Next up, we have Holly Frontier Lubricants and Specialties, which includes the Petro-Canada Lubricants brand. Petro-Canada Lubricants products and services are proven to maximize equipment performance, productivity, and overall savings. From heavy-duty engine oils to hydraulic fluids, automatic transmission fluids, and gear oils and greases, Petro-Canada Lubricants is committed to delivering innovative solutions that deliver value and keep businesses moving. They have dedicated technical expertise, knowledge, and know-how to help customers in the mining industry operate smoothly with improved equipment, reliability, and performance. You can learn more at lubricants.petro-canada.com or contact them at 1-866-335-3369 to arrange a call with one of their technical experts. And last but not least, we have Fuller Brothers. Fuller Brothers Inc. has over 59 years of tire industry experience as the world's leader in providing non-hazardous, non-toxic products that reduce tire management costs for a diverse range of customers. The acknowledged formula developers of the globally recognized tire life. Fuller Brothers also produces other quality products such as PSF Plus, PSF, Lubezit, Tire Cream, Dripless Tire Paint, Omega Tire Repair System, as well as Select Tire Services Tools and Tire Painting Equipment. For more information, you can visit them at fullerbros.com or by calling toll-free at 1-800-547-7785. Fuller Brothers, we have the inside covered. Hello, Teresa. Hello, Mohammed. It's very nice to have you on the show. Um, welcome to Mining Now. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jared. Yeah, Teresa, we, we talked about having you on almost a year ago, but sometimes things just don't line up. So it's good to find you finally have you on in good timing because there is an event coming up so we can promote that. And of course, to the audience, there'll be links to that. Um, I think before we kick off, just to give some perspective, what is, what is both of your, uh, Mohammed? we can start with you. What, what's your uh, background in the mining industry? And then over to you, Teresa. Sure. Um, so I'm a chemical engineer by background. My main focus is making sure mining companies are environmentally responsible and socially responsible as well. So that factors in air, water, soil, animals, and communities. 
And <clears throat> I guess I've been in the mining industry for about roughly about 20 years. No. Um, and Teresa, how about you? Yeah, so same uh, like Mohammed. I've been in the industry for 20 years now, and I've had uh, the opportunity to work in technical roles as well as operations underground. Mm. And, um, you know, really interested in kind of the business side of mining at this stage around uh, how we govern ourselves in mining. You and I, when we were planning uh, planning for the the interview and just talking about some of the discussions, you you brought up a good point. You you said um, you sort of liken diversity to uh, doing it wrong is kind of like how do you destroy the value of an ore body? And uh, you know, we we it wasn't a long chat, so I didn't really get a chance to get you to unpack that. So I, I wondered if you could sort of talk about what that means to you um, on the show here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, many times when people, when we're thinking about people in, in mining, you'll see images where people say, you know, that the most valuable uh, co commodity to come out of the mine are the people, so the people resources. And, you know, oftentimes I think about if you're looking at an ore body and you're trying to mine it and extract it, I mean, your goal is to really maximize the value extracted of that ore body. And you do that by picking the right mining methods and doing the proper mine planning design, you know, integrating well with environmental requirements, the community uh, social social requirements uh, for making sure that that ore body can be, you can really truly get the value uh, out of it. Now, when I think of people um, that work for the mining industry, I, I believe personally that in order for them to show up and to really give their full, uh, you know, to really be productive and fully engaged, uh, diversity and inclusion are part of that. Because if you feel that you belong, you can truly bring your full self to work and bring all your creativity, your innovation, innovative ideas. And uh, to me, that's how we really leverage the value of individuals that work in the mining industry. You, you've both been in the industry for, for you know, I think you, Mohammed, you said 20 years and, and Teresa is similar to you. So have you, have you seen changes or, or when you, have you had experience or seen or seen environments where where it wasn't it wasn't what it should be um, over your your time in the industry? Uh, maybe Mohammed, start with you. Sure, I, it's a good question, Jared, and a good reflection over the last twenty plus years. There has been a change, um, and it's not just analogous to the mining industry. A lot of our industries and just our overall perceptions, and if you start looking at just uh, media, et cetera. There's a, a lot of emphasis on diversity. When I first started, the mining sector was a stigma to a stereotype that was predominantly male-oriented uh, role. And it also had to deal with the stigma of being a very dirty industry. Um, you know, a lot of movies used to characterize somebody working in a coal mine who's just dirty with, uh, you know, coal all over their face, et cetera. So over the last 20 years, mining has changed to its perception, but we still have a long way to go. Diversity has uh, become one of the mantles that mining would like to take forward, not just because of the diversity when it comes to gender diversity, but we also have an indigenous population. And a lot of these mines are operating in areas where we are close to indigenous populations and finding a way to attract that talent as well and making our industry um, compatible and learning from each other. There's a lot we can learn and there are a lot of examples we can get into as we go today, but there's a lot to be said about how to, the industry accepts and works alongside with diverse individuals. And I, I'm actually very optimistic. When we started a lot of this program in, um, in the CIM DIAC committee to where we are now, I still see a lot of progress to be made and I'm encouraged by it. What, what about you, Teresa? What is, what is sort of your, when, when you look back, what do you so, sort of see the journey at? What has it been? You know, I was actually, I was sitting here reflecting on that. Uh, I was picturing myself as a university first year student uh, at Laurentian University. And I, I, I was curious if some of the dialogue we're having today would have been welcome or felt welcome back then. Uh, back then, I, uh, jo I had joined a small group of women called the, it was Women in Science and Engineering. And I remember at that point, they were just beginning. They had just started in 1998, uh, WISE is based out of Sudbury, Ontario. And I look now 21 years later, 
And what's really what's really neat is, yes, there's been a tremendous change in the mining industry in terms of all of those seeds that were planted many years ago, say 20 years ago, have just been germinating and creating fruit everywhere. I mean, we bump into people uh, who work in the mining industry who were some of the young girls that came to some of our events um, that were put on, you know, 20 years ago, these science Olympics that just really got people like young, young minds into STEM. So all to say, I, I feel that a lot of uh, investment has happened socially for many, many years. And I really feel that around this time now, we're seeing a lot of those fruits uh, coming to fruition. And if, if somebody was to say what's, what's been changing, it's, it's, the, it's visuals, right? There's symbolic things that are happening in industry. It's from PPE that's available now that re reflects the different body types of people in the industry. And I'm sure a lot can be said about across the mining industry for you know, things that are visual symbols that, that there's been a change from gendered language and whatnot. So tremendous change over the last 20 years. You know, you say that there's there's a symbolic sort of things that 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 companies do. Do you think? And again, I'm I'm getting to ask this, and it's it's good for me because it's it's people that have been in the industry long enough. You when when companies sort of sometimes start off with the symbolic because maybe they don't even know what they're trying to accomplish. Do you think those symbolic gestures um, end up resonating and and turning into real uh, real results? Um, if even if it starts as more of a symbolic gesture, if I'm asking that right, um, for me, when I say the word symbol, um, what I'm what I'm actually I guess inferring from that is real strategy behind it. Uh, so, in my opinion, by the time sometimes you see a symbol, there's been a whole lot of strategy right. behind it. So, you know, by the time you see PPE uh, that is reflective of the different body types, maybe there's been a lot of legwork behind that that might not be visible to people. Uh, but so for me, my experience has been uh, the visuals I see in industry are actually quite reflective of the background work. I mean, for the last 20 years, I've been interested in the diversity and inclusion space. And uh, actually, CIM was amazing in 2016, um, supporting us hosting a diversity and inclusion panel in Sudbury, Ontario. Um, and again, these really uh, deep conversations that were, you know, a symbol of what would come today. Uh, so all to say that the, the signs and symbols are underpinned by strategy and, and real positive intent. And it's what you see, but behind the scenes is a lot of people talking, panels, people sharing ideas. Right, right. Yeah, that, that is, so yeah, I, I'd say I probably stated it exactly backwards. So I'm glad you clarified. Um, Mohammed, the, the, I wanted, to, even for myself, when I'm coming into this discussion today, um, it's, and I've had it, I've had this when I've had indigenous leaders, this feeling of almost, uh, for lack of a better word, a feeling of dread of asking of the wrong question, just kind of like I just did, asking it completely backwards and coming off that, you know, I, I don't care or I'm completely ignorant to something that's going on. And, and I know that's a feeling that people have. I'm sure you've seen it. And being a part of DIAC, you're actually at the forefront of bringing this conversation. Do you see people now, though, uh, are much more comfortable having the conversation about just talking about diversity or lack thereof in either their organizations or in the industry itself? Jared, you picked a question that I'm going to be going on for a while because this is my passion about communication. Um. In touching about communication, the nuts and bolts to me is that I still find people are afraid to ask the wrong question. Mm. And it's really about appreciation versus appropriation. People don't know where that line sits. We talk about, um, I believe we were talking about in our one of our Indigenous group sessions, we had one of our Indigenous leaders talking right before Halloween, talking about what to dress up as and what would be deemed as inappropriate and appropriation. But then there's some parts that is appreciation, whereas you can use certain indigenous jewelry and that's okay. Now, what that left us all with was, we are all still afraid to ask the question. And it's because we're afraid that we're going to be insulting someone or saying something incorrect. And that's why I do believe that it goes ties into that symbolism as well. Starting the symbol, basically you've put out the beacon if with or without strategy that you're open for the conversation you've put out the bat signal to say 
I'm here to learn. I have lots more to learn about it. And I want to talk about it and let's open it up. To me, it's way easier. And as a person of ethnic minority, I know there's going to be questions. Sometimes I just have to get into it right away. Or I try to create that environment. And that's the challenge we all have to do as individuals in our companies to create a platform for communication. Make sure that it's not coming from a bad place. I think generally people aren't coming in from a bad place. They just want to know. When an incident happens, you want to ask somebody, but you don't want to offend them. Unless you have a close friend that you can talk without judgment, it's very difficult for the average person. And I still think that we have a way to go. We are still afraid to ask. I know I get afraid to ask about certain things all the time just because I don't want to offend. So I'll go and try to do research. And that's, to me, the crux of the problem, the dialogue. And that's why things like this, sessions here, and I'll openly say as a person that I welcome those dialogues and most people will if it's coming from the right place. Can you kind of, and I'll put this to both of you because uh, I think that is a, a very nice answer. Can you, can you get the sense when somebody is asking a question from ignorance as in ignorance that they really don't know or as in ignorance that they're coming um, with, with a, a very clear bias that they've got some sort of agenda behind, behind the questions they're asked. Can you sense it from a mile away? Because I've seen these questions and I can sense that you know, there's, there's something a little behind this. You know, there's an attitude or an extra layer or something. Can you, can you sense it pretty quick? Go for it, Teresa. You, you know, yeah. So what this, I, I love what you're, what we're talking about here. And I think I'm like more where I'm like, ah, we can talk about this for hours. But it, you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of microaggressions, right? So I don't know if you've ever had this, Jared, where somebody might say something to you like, you know, I don't want to come across racist, but. <laughs> but I'm about usually, to. Right. But so usually those but moments are those like, oh my gosh, or somebody, you know, so to your point, Jared, let's be honest, like I, I'm not psychic. Uh, and I also am a person who is a strong believer in not creating stories. So what I mean by that is I don't like to make inferences. If you ask me a question, I typically take everything at face value. Uh, the reason is I think it's the safe way of approaching life. Um, work or anything really because if you start assuming intent um yeah. that's negative it's just a danger i mean how do you know right how do i know that you found a certain way because maybe you have a nervous tick in your eye <laughs> i don't know so it's you got to be really careful about uh supposing and understanding of where the other person's coming from um however i do know that it, by studying the idea of microaggressions is that you can listen for certain words right uh, like I said, the very statement, and I'm sure people who are listening to this might have heard this in their own personal lives where, you know, somebody approaches you with something they're about to drop that is just not going to be right. And they say, they preface it and then the but ends in some, something that they, they ought to know better. So yeah, so to your question, Jared, I, I, I really, I personally trust in positive intent is my first go-to vice. And I love when a curious mind approaches me and to be honest, I, while I agree that people should definitely try and do some research, Google something, you know, YouTube it, <laughs> uh, but I, I have empathy for those who don't uh, research things and want to have a dialogue. But I would say my, the best practice is please, if you're very curious about a topic, try and, and it's, it's advice for myself as well, try and do a little bit of research first, see what reputable uh, news articles are saying about it or platforms, you know, Harvard Business Review, reports that different companies have put out um and then ask the question for clarification right yeah i think what you said is is and that assumption and i'm i'm uh i'm actually bad for that myself just in my own personal life is where i put a layer on something i try to figure out where someone's coming up from rather than just going it straight down the middle and i watched an interesting thing uh, i believe they were actually fbi agents and they were saying like you cannot tell. They were actually walking through how you could not tell. I think they were specifically looking at spies or something like that. And they said like nervous ticks and like people looking the other direction and stuff. They said, you can't because everybody has different reasons for doing that in different backgrounds. I remember in my family um, when my sister had br brought people from actually around the world and we were in our family because we grew up in the country and we were <laughs> looking back. It's so funny. But we were having these internal discussions of like, okay, 
um, how do we say this? <laughs> we, we didn't know. We were, there was no ignorance behind it of we just didn't know what to say. <laughs> and, and, that, and that people, I do see people that are so good at it when they're not putting that assumption like you just said, Teresa, and they do cut through either the, those nerves or the confusion, and then it becomes a really good dialogue, which is why I'm glad. Like this conversation, I wouldn't do this interview if it was five minutes. I couldn't do it because mm-hmm. it's just not enough time to actually lay it, get past the layers of just trying to feel out the conversation first. Um, Teresa, I want to kind of just go back to the core, though, of what is, when you talk about diversity in mining, what are we actually talking about at, at its core, do you see? For me, if I look across the industry, I think it's a, it, for me, it's a recognition uh, by not just mine, the mining industry, because we don't, we, we don't operate in a vacuum, right? We operate with lots of partners, stakeholders and whatnot. For me, it's around the appreciation of the advantages, the difference of thinking, of viewing problems and collaboration can really bring, right? So at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we have the best minds, the most unique perspectives looking at an issue and helping solve it together in the most creative way possible. I mean, I liken it to, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna do a Star Trek reference for some Trekkies in the room, for the non-Trekkies. What it is is Star Trek is a show, right? That has all these diverse people. So you got Klingons, you got all these like different ethnicities, ethnic, ethnicities that come together, um, you know, and they solve crazy problems every single season. And in that show, it is very, very clear that your difference is the magic, right? Where there's a time where only data can help the situation. It's super strong or super intelligent. There's only time where the lady who's psychic can come up with you know, the, 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 what the other people are thinking. So all to say that in mining, it's really the same thing where you, we're trying to harness the differences that people bring to the table. It could be people who come with a huge data analytics acumen you know, with, with that data analytical brain or people who uh, are coming from a point of view that they really understand local communities and whatnot. So for me, uh, diversity mining is about harnessing our differences so that we can really solve problems together in the most creative and efficient way. Have you seen it? And I, again, going to back to your own personal experience, um, I, I should, and, and by the way, uh, just quickly, I want to, before we get too far in, when is the uh, the Dyack Town Hall? Because I know there's going to be panelists from, I, I mean, leaders in the mining industry, and it, it's an event that I, I really think people should tune into just to be able to hear these conversations. Um, when is that? Is that in January? Yeah, I think, Mo, you had the date just to get January the right date. 26th is the Town Hall, Jared. Okay, and will that be, what will that be? Will that be in like an online that people can come in in person? How will the setup be? It'll be online and we'll have panelists and try to, you know, dive, unpack the issue a little bit more on what companies are doing, examples, et cetera. And I think there's going to be some, I'd say more specifics because to to your earlier question, how do you unpack this? A lot of people want to do it. It's not, it's not about how anymore, or sorry, it's not about why, it's about how and learning from each other. So this is that platform trying to learn from each other so we can all improve. What are, what are the roots of uh, what are the and we'll put links in everything to, to the town hall. Um, what are the roots of Dyack? When did it get started? Um, sort of some of the people that, that sort of pushed it forward and, and, and got it going. Um, what, what's that story? Uh, I, either one of you want to take that question. Teresa, if you want to start and I can piggyback on with you. Absolutely. So my understanding of uh, so definitely. Uh, the CIM Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Committee predates my time and my involvement in CIM, uh, but it started in early 2013, and it really was a response to industry requesting CIM uh, to support various diversity initiatives. Um, and I, I note in one of our documents where it's, it, it says that, uh, to our knowledge anyways, uh, it was we were really the first national association to create such a committee. And in May 2015, uh, the committee agreed that it should be renamed as the CIM Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Committee. Uh, so that's, those are kind of the roots. It was really in response to the industry. So look, our industry has been trying, uh, and it's really nice to see that there's huge history behind this organization. And I think the other thing I'll add is when we started, and it does predate me, I was not around in 2013, but I remember 
uh, a colleague of mine said, hey, we have this committee meeting, you should join. And I attended the first time just as an observer. And it occurred to me when I sat in that first meeting, and similarly, as we're discussing now, the issues are, and I say not issues, the challenge we have ahead of us is bigger than us. And there's a lot we can all do, but it's all of us come from technical backgrounds, we're engineers, we tend to think linearly, cause and effect, but this was one when I started realizing there's multiple ways, there are multiple solutions, there's no just direct answer. And that made me uh, realize that as the average person, we're sitting around, why isn't it happening? Why, why is it taking so long? It's 2021 and we're still talking about diversity, but it's, a, it's quite the challenge to unpack. There's a lot of factors. Mm-hmm. There has there been people like you know I I Teresa you mentioned one time uh, Roy Slack I believe he was involved in it I mean he he was involved in getting mining now going as well um, he's he's a very um, I I don't even know if the right word is I, I think he is forward thinking but I think he's um, he's very when he sees when he sees something of value and that's important he doesn't just let it go by. He, he focuses in on it and, and will will give his time to it. Um, it just, I mean, you know, I've gotten to know him, you know, a bit from a distance, but he, he's been involved in it as well, hasn't he? Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think uh, just, you know, identifying Roy um, is one thing I will say about uh, the leadership that CIM has had over the last couple of years that I've been involved in have really been leaders that recognize the value of diversity and inclusion in mining, and they they do that in action. So uh, one thing that st- that stands out for me for uh, Roy actually is around. Uh, I think he was the first person who really started to introduce me to, to the concept of diversity shares. And he talked about how uh, in the meetings for council and CIM they would use diversity shares in opening up their meetings. And again, it's those leaders that over the years have made the, the diversity and inclusion uh, conversation alive and well. And I just wanna shout out that CIM, what I like about the idea, this organization is, it really walks the talk when it comes to diversity and inclusion in the sense that it's not something that they just tell, you know, industry do this, industry do this. If you look at CIM and you look at uh, the committees, the way that they set up uh, the, the conferences, you really see um, intentional now um, effort by CIM to ensure that it's being very inclusive in who's actually at the table making decisions. Mm-hmm. What is sort of the, uh, you know, over the next, let's say two, three years, um, you know, and going beyond that, what, what are some of the goals of, of the organization of DIAC within, with, under the CIM umbrella? Um, but as that stream, what, what are their, what is going to be their focus? Um, I think when we started talking about 2013, when I said, when I said, oh, you know what, this, the inception was 2013, 2015, then the name Dayak uh, was, you know, was, was really uh, made more official. And here we are in 2021, and we're still talking about diversity and inclusion. So I think what I want to land to all of us here today is that this is not a sprint. It's more like a marathon that keeps going and you keep getting better. Okay, so if I look at the goals and objectives of DIAC, so some of the goals were to provide guidance to the CIM executive and council on all things DNI related. So somebody might say to you, well, Teresa, is that done? No, it's not done because we get new culture all the time. We get new executives, we get new council. So that work is not going to be done, but it continues to continuously improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is around align with CIM strategic plan in terms of diversity and inclusion. Again, we keep learning things as a society, right? We're learning new terminology. We're getting more versed on diversity dimensions that many of us didn't know existed, but are now we're more aware. Um, some of our work is around uh, linking, helping to link CIM's um, uh, DNI message around the business um, so that people understand the business case of the industry. Uh, and we do this through our publications, electric communications, conferences, and outreach programs. So this is ongoing work that we're solidifying, getting into sustained mode, and just making sure that all the content that CIM puts out continues to uh, evolve with society and that we don't stay stagnant. So, you know, you asked about the two to three year vision. For me, it's around really getting to a point where 
it's in our very DNA that this is how we do business. Uh, but at the same time, pivoting with what else society is teaching us and making sure that we don't lag uh, behind. Hmm. Mohammed, uh, just to, over to you to sort of add on to that. What do you see is, um, where, where do you see it, it needs to needs to get to and, and sort of how, how does it need to get there? Is it, you know, because of that, that sort of that marathon example. And I, I don't think, I, I don't think it is ever done because, I mean, people will continue to be people and there's always going to be uh, switches in perspectives and how we need to approach things. So sort of what's that marathon approach for you, you know, uh, part of the organization and even personally? Sure. I'll start off with just part of the organization and, you know, building off of uh, Teresa's marathon analogy, which is actually a very good analogy. And, you know, it, it demonstrates the effort, the training, as well as the preparation and the long-term goals. But also as CIM, we've also spent a lot of time this year um, trying to understand where we fit within that spectrum as well. And I say within the spectrum, diversity is a subject that is being talked about by multiple organizations, multiple industry organizations. How do we leverage each other? How do we build off each other and not duplicate uh, or cause confusing messages? So there's various organizations that are set up for the actual training and implementation. There's some that are set up for educational components. There's some set up for outreach. We realize that the CIM has a technical networking knowledge base where we share best practices. CIM was formed on the premise of the mining industry sharing best practice, stemming from the technology side, right? Right. So sharing best practice is really our niche. And so what we want to do is to say, answer the question that says not about why diversity? We want to answer the question, how are we going to do it? Let's roll up our sleeves and let's figure out how and learn from each other because, as Teresa said, it's a marathon and we're going to learn along the way. Uh, it's not a solid, uh, it's not a slam dunk right away because there's things we're going to learn as we all evolve. Ultimately, my end goal personally is that diversity isn't a topic anymore. I really don't want it to be a topic. I think, you know, the three of us were sitting here and all the audience, we all may look different. We all probably think differently. Mm -hmm. We're all the same inside. We all bleed the same. And that's the part that I just want to be able to overcome. I would love personally for my child, when he turns on the news, doesn't feel like he is a target or a victim. Mm -hmm. That's uh, the personal aspect I have because We've been here three generations, but still I have to keep describing where we're from. And I'd like to eventually stop that. See, and this comes down to an interesting question is the, the, you know, where are you from? Like I've, you know, people have married into our family from different countries and I, I it's, it's a default question. A lot of times people ask it when they don't know what to say. <laughs> You know, it's like, well, there's weather <laughs> and where are you from? <laughs> where do you work? You're not supposed to ask about work. But you know what, Jared? I, I love that you're, you're bringing that up because I, I you know, we talk about, um, you know, moments that matter that you experience uh, microaggressions. Uh, we were at actually breakfast in Toronto the other day and uh, we were at a party uh, of, a you know, a few people and uh, the waiter uh, you know ended up really striking a, a, a camaraderie with the group and it just got to that point where it felt natural to uh to talk about where people were from and um the interesting thing is there was a it was around um an assumption that the person was from india and um then the, he clarified that he was from bangladesh and um it was uh yeah it, I hear what you're saying, Jared, and this is where I love when we talked about, it's about your intent sometimes, right? Like, I, I know that we are going, and I love that we're bringing this up because we, we are human beings and we're trying our best in this life that we're leading to be ethical, to make sure that people are feeling included. Are we going to misstep? I mean, there are times where I love talking about where I'm from, and sometimes it is the opener to a grandiose conversation. Uh, but it is it's something that we do need to reflect on our intent and also on, is it really a best practice to 
be asking people where they're from. I mean, I, I have a relative, a young relative who works at Timmy's and um, they are born and raised in Canada. They're not from anywhere else in their minds. And, uh, you know, being constantly asked, hey, by the way, when did you come to the country? And they're young and they're getting confused. Like, what, what country? I'm here, I'm Canadian. So it, it's a balance. What a balance, eh? It's a balance and think of, you know, on the, building on that, I have my son and, you know, right off the bat, hey, where are you from? Mm. He has no other clue because he was born. He's like, well, i from Oakville. So, well, where's your dad from? Well, my dad was born here too. Well, what about your grandfather? Well, now how far are we going? What's, so it's, the, it's really the intent. And I get that there's some interest. I, I get fascinated by different cultures as well. And I'd like to learn about them as well. And it's just at the time and place when you say, okay, well, yes, he was born here and father's born here and his grandfather studied university here. So he came and he was 18. It's hard to start relating back to the country that you're about to say ethnically where you're from, because you right. might not have the same ties anymore. Right. And therefore the second part of the question, if you're interested about the culture, I've just told you that I may not know much about that culture anymore because I'm three generations away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, yeah, you and you, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. And sometimes I see it as people, they simply run out of questions. So they, but how do you, um, how do I ask this? Do you, is, I guess the other thing is, especially in a professional environment, that's where I will say, you know, and I don't, it, it's not, I, I will be honest, it's not something that's at the forefront of my mind all the time. But it does bother me because I don't want to go into an environment and somebody be asking, I, I don't, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to work. And I guess that a little bit goes back to Teresa, what you're saying is being productive at work and, and in a professional environment. That should not be the first question, you know, personal stuff aside and talking to people and that, but an environment that should not be coming up in the first five minutes of where you're from and your background and that sort of thing. I, I mean, I, to me, that's just good manners. It, it, do I have that part right? You know what? You completely nailed it for me. I, I literally had a similar conversation with somebody and it was really around what is, you know, when people talk about fostering belonging at the work, in the workplace. What's the advantage? Well, the advantage is that people can focus on working, right? right. Uh, when people are distracted by, am I fitting in? Are my ideas going to be heard? They're distracted from the objective of showing up to work to give ideas, to fully be there, to work safely, because they're not distracted. If right. you're distracted by these microaggressions of people asking you things that are irrelevant in the moment for a task at hand or for a real item you're trying to problem solve together, right? I think we can all start to see how, okay, you know what? That's just chipping away at somebody's ability. Like, can you imagine if a microaggression happens at the start of your day? Well, now you need maybe about two hours to get over it. So your productivity goes down. And if it's a bad enough microaggression, now you're thinking, I can't wait to get home so I can discuss it with my family. So now there's eight hours of a person's work time distracted. So, so when we talk about, you know, we talk about CIM, we talk, talk about DIAC, what are the advantages? Why are we doing this? We're doing this really in support of the mining industry to say, listen, we want to have the most productive workforces out there. We want to have happy employees, we want to have people showing up, um, you know, creative, ready to work, ready to innovate together. And that's what it is. If we can learn how to communicate with each other and support each other, uh, then we take out these distractions. It's noise. Right. And I, I, I just... Mahad, I just want to go back to you and say, but I want to clarify something here because earlier we talked about asking uh, questions and then there's also that, that professionalism while you're in work, not distracting you. And for sure, I, I know that there's someone that's watching going, okay, when do I get to ask my question? <laughs> oh, I want questions. I, well, so I'll start with, I generally being, um, I try to be socially aware. So I try to, debunk that right away. I'll try to generally get a sense of the read of the room to your first question. Can you tell when and whatever those signs may be? So I'll get that out of the way in some capacity, whichever capacity I can. But genuinely, I can or can sense when someone's genuinely asking because of a variety of reason versus when it's becoming now to categorize me into something because they, they to rationalize the buckets, they need to categorize me into 
a place and I just don't fit. And so you can tell when you're being categorized versus being um, mm. implored. And right. if I get yeah. a sense, I'll, I'll break the ice right away. I mean, uh, as a name, for, I mean, I've gone through all kinds of stuff. Named as Muhammad Ali. Uh, you can imagine all the inferences I get from boxing to, you know. I, I, he's my favorite boxer and I didn't bring it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you didn't. And the funny thing is, yeah. I've gotten so used to it. I have now come, I've heard every single pun and I entertain it because I enjoy it. Yeah, it's, um, I wanted to just, I just wanted to add on something because you mentioned your son. I didn't want to just let that, let go. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into that personally unless you brought it up, but I, I do want to ask something about it because I've, again, having um, Indigenous leaders on, on the show, I really think part of it, and I, this is just my opinion and, and I'll, but I'll, I'll put it out there as an opinion, but also as a question. I think part of it is, um, when I've had Indigenous leaders on, it was always very important to me to give lots of time to talk and to ask a few questions that maybe they just weren't asked. People ask, you know, they talk in the room separate, but then when they come into the room, they don't actually ask the, the, the question directly to them. Um, and how important is it for, let's say, your son or any younger generation that, you know, their parents are from a different country or from a different culture or whatever it is, to to instill that confidence to be able to I, combat is not the right word. I'm trying to think of the right word to use, but just to not, not let someone sort of bulldoze over them with those, with these, you know, ignorant questions, again, lack of a better word, ignorant questions that, that really are not thought out that really they shouldn't be, you shouldn't be asking someone who's 10 years old, how important it is to equip them to be able to actually handle it and essentially stand up for themselves? I think so that has been a big part. And I say amongst many things, as all of us as parents who are out there, uh, you try to build your children with the best tools for them to survive mm. and education, et cetera, et cetera, is amongst those things. As a person of ethnic minority, it's just a different additional skill set we have to teach our children to be able to be resilient, to understand that not everyone is asking the question because there is misintent and to be able to be confident and embrace who they are. I mean, the, the general question could be, they just know someone else and they've tried butter chicken somewhere else and they just want to know if you're eating butter <laughs> chicken, right? I mean, it could be as innocent as that, yeah. but you just don't know until, to ask Teresa's point, it's hard to assume, but as long as you're comfortable in your own skin and confident, yeah then that's fantastic. However, that confidence also has to come with a general, back to your first topic, if we're going to take it all full circle, back to the branding, back to the acknowledgement that we are all different people. So even if there's a little bit of, I recall when we started doing the Chinese New Year um, and the commercials used to come on TV, I didn't know much about it, but I started learning. I was like, oh, then I learned how to say it. And because they started using it, and you just, it opens yourself up to learning something. So when you do meet someone who actually is from China, you can now start relating. You can say, hey, it's about your New Year time, isn't it? You know how well that, how good that person feels when you're like, oh yeah, you know about my New Year coming up. Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of stuff is important. So when we, it's so there's importance that our parent, as parents, we instill those values, but we need to also as a society be able to say, we are all a diverse group of people here making this country work. So our diversity is our strength. And that's what I'd like us to be. And so, yeah, my son is very confident who he is. And he's confident that he's brown. He openly, when it comes up, uh, he happens to be in a school where it's not that diverse. So they're very curious, but in a very genuine way. I, I, they're, the average 10 to 14 year old isn't racist. They're just curious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you've seen, I, I, I mean, I've, I've I mean, it was a while ago now, but in high school, you definitely saw the, the kids that were, were in a minority group that they had. They could bring that confidence into the room. It would completely switch from something that was different to something that everybody loved. But not everybody has that personality as well. And I, I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, when, when I grew up, I was, you know, I was one of the big kids and all that sort of stuff. And, and fortunately, I had parents that uh, they were they were so against bullying to the point it was uh <laughs> like scary they were just very against it especially my father and uh 
And I hope that's also somebody, you know, even some watching the show is to, to encourage young people that, you know, have whatever that advantage is, if it's something as simple as your size, to be the person that steps in for the people that don't have that just extra little bit of confidence to stand up, because I think that's an important thing. And to sort of tie it off, I'd like to ask both of you, being a part of Diet and, and CIM and that, how has it changed you personally? Has it built on core values that were already there or has it brought in new values into your life, you know, actually focusing mm -hmm. in on, on these topics? Uh, Teresa, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, something that really popped out when you were talking, when you talked about your father and how against bullying it was, it made me think of the word allyship, right? The idea of being an ally, you got nothing to gain, but you understand that you have something to add value to in terms of supporting somebody else. And I really appreciate that your dad was being an ally for those kids who, or people who would be bullied by ensuring that he was you know, raising a son who would understand the, who would understand the importance of not bullying. So number one, that's, I, I find that's remarkable. Um, we need more of that in our society. Uh, the next item is how has CIM Diet changed me personally? I, I continue to learn all the time. Um, I actually have a, there's a team member on our committee, her name is Namina. And one thing about Namina is that she's been really, really pivotal in my personal comprehension of the importance of neurodiversity in the mining in the mining industry, in any industry per se. This is a topic that I had a blind spot to. Didn't know, uh, you know, it's we hear a lot about you know children who are autistic and who are young and whatnot. And many times many of us are not thinking about, well, how do they enter the workforce? How do they contribute? Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited that I'm around people who are challenging my knowledge and are forcing me to go past my own view of the world. My world did not involve neurodiversity and now it does. And I'm very proud that our committee, Diversity Inclusion Advisory Committee here is leading this. We're really leading a charge in the mining industry around neurodiversity. We're putting on uh, sessions. We've got this an amazing uh, speaker series um, with Kelly. You, you, you probably see some advertisements for uh, on upcoming work. So for me, Dayak has just opened up this view of for me to say Teresa there's just so many dimensions of diversity you don't know you don't even know what you don't know and I'm curious I'm I'm really learning to be open-minded and to be a continuous learner and and be okay with being vulnerable and asking those questions that some might come across as misinformed and some of them might uh, hopefully they lend as, as as genuine positive intent and curiosity yeah, well, you're gonna if you if you try, you are gonna fail a couple times. But I, I think trying is half the battle. Um, uh, Mohammed, how about how about you? How has this sort of uh, either added or or changed uh, your outlook personally? So personally, I'm gonna give you a story. I'm a storyteller, and it was actually at a CIM event, and the woman speaking was the executive vice president of a mining company, and she was talking about diversity, and I was sitting there listening, and she was talking about a meeting that was being set up at 8.30 uh, in the morning. The executives got around and, and she's the executive vice president of HR. And when they set up this meeting at 8.30, in her mind, she was like, oh, that I won't be able to make that meeting because of uh, being a single parent. Before she said anything, somebody else in the room, and she said, it was a male who said, hey, we should not be setting up meetings that early because we might have single parents and it just might not be conducive for that. Knowing very well that this person was trying to bring it up on behalf of uh, this executive vice president. Mm. So she said in her session, she goes, I'm the executive vice president of HR in my company, probably the third, fourth highest ranking official in our company. Yet I felt so welcomed when someone else talked about the battle and I felt so much better because I don't sometimes we don't want to be that person we don't want to be the face of diversity sometimes we don't want to be any of those so I'll say the same thing she said at the end of that session she said I implore all of you look around yourselves be socially aware just look around and see what you think you can improve for someone else because they may not be saying it and that to me resonated so well. So as I've got my own uh, views on things, but I've started taking that as a personal battle to start looking around on behalf of other people, assuming it's me. 
And I encourage everyone to do that. Personally, that's very simple to do, but it means so much to someone. Uh, yeah, for yeah. that person to be at the keynote talking about. The second thing uh, I've learned a lot about is the conversation. I've been become mentor for a lot of people. I started realizing that invert inadvertently, or somehow, I guess I should know, but I started becoming a, a mentor and a leader for some people. Um, and that's a responsibility. Yeah. Every day when I'm at work, I feel I'm setting the tone or a trailblazer for the next Muhammad or for the next so-and-so. And it's an odd obligation, but it is one that we bear until it becomes normal. I can't just come in and put in half-ass because I feel like I'm not representing just myself. And I've had various younger individuals say, Muhammad, the fact that you're now making it to this boardroom means one day I'll be there too. So in my mind, I'm like, don't screw it up. Right. Well, I know I know we're on a little bit of a tight uh, tight deadline today, um, so I'm I'm going to have to wrap it up, and I, I think that is a good spot to leave it there at. So, um, thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Mohammed, for being on the show, and and thank you for you know actually having having a conversation, allowing me to stumble through my questions, and uh, <laughs> and having a you know a proper dialogue. I, I feel like it's uh it's um it's a good way to promote that uh, the town hall on January 26th, because I know there's going to be other leaders unpacking more perspectives and talking about it from an industry, more from an industry perspective as well. So thank you both. And uh, I hope, I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you everybody for watching. Um, you, uh, we will have links to the, to the town hall and, and uh, you know, the, the LinkedIn connection. So you can connect with Mohammed and uh, Teresa uh, thank you for, to Gaudi for putting everything together, and thank you to our sponsors. Please keep letting us know who should be the next guest. We cannot book uh, the amount of diverse people that we need to to really unpack the industry without your help. So thank you for your support. Please uh, subscribe, follow, share with your with your community so that we we expand our reach and keep educating people about what's going on in the mining industry. Thank you very much to CIM for all your support, and we will see you on the next episode of Mining Now.